Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. I am here with my friend, Kyle Brown. Kyle, thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. We actually grew up not that far away from each other in Illinois and have walked similar, I don't know, parallel journeys for a while. And so it'll be really interesting for those who have listened to the earlier episode where I kind of share my journey and story to to hear this one and, and some of the parallels. But I'll do a little bit of an intro. Uh, Kyle Brown has empowered busy entrepreneurs for over two decades to break down barriers for physical, mental, and emotional mastery. This is a process he calls rapid harmony. World changers, top CEOs, Fortune 500 companies, professional Olympic athletes, and countless celebrities have worked with Kyle to develop a sustainable, fit, happy, peaceful, aligned, and balanced lifestyle. Kyle's also the CEO and founder of Fit365, an all-natural, delicious, gourmet meal in a shake. I feel like that bio sells you a little bit short, but we'll keep it to that for now. And um, you're no stranger to podcasting either. I didn't see that mentioned in the bio, but you had your own podcast on ESPN for several years, uh, which we'll talk about. So this season is all about the healing journey. And yours mirrors mine more than it mirrors some of the others that might have been more, um, you know, physical disease, although physical illness and disease played a role in yours, but it wasn't your physical illness and disease necessarily. Right. So um, I guess I'd like to start like, how did you get into doing this kind of work? Like, were you growing up and you're like, I'm going to be a a trainer and a coach when I grow up? How did that kind of happen? Awesome question. It, uh, <laughs> it's almost a, a full circle sort of thing. So I started as a little kid around six years old. My oldest brother's eight years older, so he's 14. And it was lifting weights in the old school Midwest basement with sand dumbbells, punching <laughs> bags, pictures of girls and Van Halen on the wall. And I was lifting and training and I was doing it for stress, anxiety, just not feeling like I fit in and just really like taking it all out on the way. So when you were six? Yeah, six. First book I read that I remember actually reading myself was Franco Colombo's bodybuilding book. So I just got into that side of it really young. And what was so unique was on the other side of that, my dad was really, you know, into entrepreneurship and, and we had Tony Robbins on tape. And then in the mystical space, we'll call it, or metaphysical space, he had his two sisters, uh, which were kind of the weirdos of the family, and I embrace the word weirdo now, who were a combination of a medium, uh, a Hawaiian shaman, astrology, numerology experts, Jinchen Jitsu, uh, NLP, and kind of had done all of that stuff. And they were the ones who had moved out west already and had gotten into this stuff in like the 60s. So it was a really interesting mix where I really took to both sides. And then professionally, I had really shut all that off, just completely shut it off. And then slowly, uh, around 2006, we brought it back into my life in a very unique sort of way. Gotcha. That's an interesting mix of influences. Your dad works on eyes. Your brother was the weightlifter that got you into the weightlifting. Yeah. Right. And, and then you're a financial guy. Yeah. Interesting. And then you're 
your aunts were out here. Yes. And uh, they were in California. Worked. One was California and one was uh, worked at University of New Mexico because she wanted to be near the spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> the, the alien spaceships. Yep. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's an interesting mix of things. And um, I've never seen a six year old pump iron before, but I bet you were like the most ripped kid in third grade. My, I, I personally have an eight-year-old son, and I was actually just getting him going with some stuff uh, this morning, which was a lot of fun. I'm slowly cool. teaching him biomechanics, and it's a lot. All of right. Fun. So then you're kind of a distillation of all of those different influences in a sense. Um, but you started. You said 2006. You started in fitness, right? So professional. Well, 2006 is when I started with uh, emotional freedom technique. But professionally, okay. 2002, I got into fitness and. The, the story behind that was actually pretty interesting. I went to go interview over at one of the top investment banking firms where my brother was at the time, got to like my 18th interview of the day. And the woman sits down and she's like, hey, so your brother tells me you're a bodybuilder. And I've been regurgitating all this fitness stuff or all this financial stuff that I've been studying all day. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm competing in the next little bit. He says, you know, I got this problem where I'm trying to figure out how do I take my dogs for walks and make all this stuff work. And all of a sudden she pulls me over and she looks at me and she goes, you're interviewing for the wrong job. So I was like, oh, because <laughs> she saw where the passion was. Yeah. So I called my aunt who I just mentioned out in California and said, hey, do you have a spare room? I want to move on out there and just pursue my dreams. And it was an industry that didn't even really exist at the time. It was fanny packs and parachute pants and, you know, that's 2002. Sort of, yeah. 2002. Yeah, I think that like whole personal training, fitness, nutrition business, like as an industry probably kicked off around like later in that decade. Yep. And you started out in fitness and you mentioned emotional freedom technique, which others might know as tapping. Yep. Uh, that was 2006. You found 2006, that? I started doing it myself. Yeah. And how did you find that? You know, I had been really getting into natural health and I'd seen at the time Dr. Mercola had had the top natural health website. So back in 2006, I had my 10 year high school reunion coming back. So I flew back out to Chicago and I set up an appointment with Mercola's office because I was setting up my own clinical nutrition fitness practice. And I said, I want to see what you guys do. So they took my blood work and I was like, hey, I'm not sick at all. I'm actually in fantastic health. I just want to see what you guys are doing here. And so then I went to my meeting with somebody to do tapping. And as I was going through this, I was just like, this is the weirdest thing yeah, ever. It is. But it also was so funny to me that everything you learn through fitness is hustle and push and results take years, right? And this was like instantaneous. So it really caught my eye. Yeah. And you, you can't like do it harder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I watch I watch clients now when they're like really pissed off and they're tapping. I'm like, it's energetic, you know? Yeah, it's hand. not gonna you can't do it harder, faster, it's not gonna work, right. which goes against like our whole everything. So um interesting. I started fitness around 2008, which was cutting edge in Illinois at the time. Oh. And uh and then I had a mentor of mine introduce me to tapping, but I blew it off because it was too like hokey and weird. So I, I, I tried it once and was like, I don't feel awesome. This is nonsense. And now, um, now I run another platform that actually features practitioners of EFT and tapping. So that's awesome. interesting. But um, it's a Meridian Touchpoint thing for those who are not uh, aware that can cause emotional shifts and mental shifts and stress reduction. So um, you were probably the only trainer who was doing that in 2006. 
Oh, definitely. Because uh, uh, what I learned, I went to, I got a master's in exercise physiology and went through like NASM's um, higher level, like training certifications for athletes and corrective exercise stuff and whatever. I wanted to, I wanted to work with athletes. That was what I learned in grad school was, you know, starve yourself and your clients. Uh, eat chicken breast only, broccoli only with no fat on it, except maybe a like spritz of olive oil with about a hundred servings a day of whole grains. And that's it. And then crush your clients in the gym, like treadmill, cardio, weights, circuits, all that stuff. And what I noticed is my, my clients that were coming to me, they weren't the people who needed that. Right. Right. So like, who were you working with when around then when we was tapping something you introduced into your clients then or was it just for you so when i was in the bodybuilding psych really before i i'm going to call it reawoke i had not understood what 99% effort was so my first ever fitness session i had this woman who had a double double masters she came into her session and I was like, all right, you know, she's really out of shape. I'm just going to go over basic mechanics of a squat holding on to the Smith bar. And on her first ever set of my first ever training session in a gym full of like three, 400 people, she does a squat and she has a mental emotional release and bursts out into tears, grabbed her towel, took the oxygen on me. She starts hitting me with her towel going, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And I was like, what did I do? What now I that do? would be kind of awesome. Then you were probably terrified. Now I know how to hold space for that. Yeah, yeah. So it would be incredible. I'd be like, this is the most beautiful thing ever. At the time, I was sitting here going like, what did I sign up for? But why is this body? happening? <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm like, are you really being that weak? I'm like, it's just a little burn in your, in your you know, quad, yeah. in your hamstrings. I didn't realize, you know, about, you know at the time chakras and stored stored emotions and totally totally but yeah at the time it was like please stop embarrassing me i'm never (laughs) gonna get another client if this is what they think my sessions are yeah don't let anybody (laughs) see ever trading no one wants to work with the guy whose clients are crying in the corner so um unless you're on biggest loser (laughs) so so what was how long were you doing that like personal fitness training and nutrition uh for uh in san diego like the general population type fitness, like want to lose weight, want to feel better type clients. So I did that all the way up until the Thanksgiving before COVID, I closed down my in-person wow. practice. And as I was doing this, I had I this. You were a lot better at it in 2020 than you were in 2006. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had this okay. dual thing going on where I always say that people tend to look at you through the lens that they met you at. Right. So if it's your parents are like, I changed your diaper, you know, insightful really to teach me. But if they're, you know, your client and they came in through fitness and you're like, Hey, I've learned and studied all this new stuff. I couldn't get one of them open to that realm. None. They still looked at me as the fitness nutrition expert. So as that was going on, I was virtually building this business that was focused on physical, mental, and emotional mastery with a really heavy uh, look into the spiritual and and, and intertwining that all in and really but you weren't able to pull the original clientele along with you literally zero i when i closed it zero out of 13 of my remaining in in person people transitioned over you were making that transition they were like just teach me how to do push-ups precisely help, <laughs> yeah. help me help me get a six yeah. pack 
Yeah, when you talk about everything else, it was kind of like Charlie Brown teacher. Oh yeah. So um you built this this training fitness nutrition business while you were going through your own kind of growth process and trying to drag others along, but probably picking up new clients that were a little different along the way yeah. that were more interested in that stuff. And in your bio, it mentions that you've worked with a lot of high-level athletes, a lot of celebrity types, a lot of high-profile clientele. I'm curious how that came about because that doesn't happen for every trainer in the gym. No, no my uh, my first. So I got this into is time to of, brag, by the way, a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I got into a lot of things. My, my nickname I was using when I had my ESPN radio show was the trendsetter. And when it comes down to setting trends, a lot of times that's really not a good thing. They always say that, you know, the, the first people there, the pioneers are the ones who get the, uh, <laughs> the arrows in the back. And for me, a lot of that was I had gotten into like celebrity training and stuff back in the days where there wasn't social media and everything was really done through a lens of non-disclosure agreements. So I had a publicist who I was coaching at the time and she's like, hey, I trained this rock star who happened to be one of my favorite rock stars. Um, or, or I work with him and I want you to, you know, work with, with him and his family. And then you can now officially say you're a celebrity trainer. So you're going to do it for free and you're going to drive 30 minutes each way to go, to go coach them. Do it. And coach so, the guy who has the most money of any client you've ever worked with for the free. Irony, the yeah. irony. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, okay. the billionaires I've worked with, the billionaires I've worked with have actually been some of the, uh, the most frugal <laughs> clients I've ever had. Okay. So, the, the so, so then you got introduced to this rock star. And then I'm guessing oh, at the time, that kind of thing is word of mouth. Totally. Then. So like he has friends, she has other friends. Right. And you, you don't will, talk about what you're doing, which they like. Bingo. Bingo. They wanted total privacy. It's not like now where it's like, I want to be seen on Instagram and, and me working out is actually a plus. It's more like, oh, I just look this way. I don't exercise. And that has really shifted that whole culture. Interesting. So. So yeah, in general, it started there. And then my entire business pretty much up until this point has been a referral-based business. I've been that guy behind the scenes. And referral-wise, I've worked with you know probably about 50 different celebs or pro athletes or rock stars, rap stars. And then I started getting into the world of saying, you know what, I want the visionaries, the world changers. And that's where I spend a lot of my time now where I'm coaching people who are just really uh, focused on, you know, maybe conscious entrepreneurship could be one of the best ways of looking at it, where they're focused on making the world a better place and big impact. Cool. That's quite the transition from crying squats. So, uh, yeah. um, interesting. I know you signed NDA, so I won't try to pry interesting stories out of you. Uh, that could be a secret podcast another time. Okay. Yeah. So behind, okay. behind the scenes, Hollywood trainer. So you're, you're cruising along with this like perfect, situation oh then you get a podcast at espn which we talked about a little bit before you went on air you went on a podcast on espn as a guest yeah basically told them you could do it better <laughs> oh, and- yeah, yeah I, I was kind of like you know what i'm like i've got a phenomenal network and i love talking about heroes journeys so why don't i just do this myself and it just kind of all came into uh I launched a show called the empower hour through ESPN radio. And then just was like, you know, I can leverage this to go to some really cool events in LA through all the publicists and people I know there and got to go on and interview like one of my heroes, Bob Weir from the dead, 
and a lot of just wild impromptu cool experiences. What was Bob Weir doing on ESPN? So Bob Weir was at the American Music Awards gifting suite with his daughter, granddaughter, I think his daughter. Yeah, it was his daughter. And he was just hanging out there and nobody knew who he was. And he's just sitting on a couch. I look over and go, oh my God, that's Bob Weir. And there's like nobody even talking to him. So I walked up to him and I'm like, hey, I'm like, first concert I ever went to, 91 at Soldier Field, you guys. I'm like, I'm a huge, huge dead fan. I'm like, any chance I could just shoot the breeze with you and interview you? He's like, great. So the camera people I had with me was a little 16-year-old kid who was one of my training clients. And he and his buddy just held up the camera and put the mic up. And I just got to interview him on the spot in that really loud. Wow. Yeah. So who is, uh, who is your favorite interview on your ESPN podcast? If you got to pick one or yeah. just one that comes off the top of your head that you like. I'll just say the most shocking interview I did. I did a story called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. And the adult film star, Ron Jeremy, came on for that. And the whole thing was about he is not who you think he is, that he is like the Joan Rivers of that industry. And he was a special ed teacher. And then as we go through this whole thing at the end, uh, I I knew a lot of his behind the scenes secrets uh, because I'm friends with his publicist. And I said, so I heard you play the harmonica. And he goes, how do you know that? I said, and I heard John Popper from Blues Travelers, your teacher. It's like, what? He goes, hold on. And he was in a meeting while doing our interview. So he did it virtually and he's doing this meeting and then talking to me and he grabs his harmonica out. And he plays this beautiful version of Amazing Grace. And then he goes, and for all my fellow Jews, Hava Nagila. And he pulls out Hava Nagila, plays it online. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. Wow. <laughs> so unexpected, right? Because we're so Jeremy all- Jeremy on the harmonica on ESPN radio. All right. <laughs> That's a strange sentence I never thought I would say. Everything is cruising along and- You got the radio show, you got your business, you got the supplement company, uh, you got sunny Southern California, you got a nice place to live, and then things go a little sideways. And I know that you had a nice 20-minute stretch there that kind of shifted your life at one point, but I also, um, I know you've been through, you have one daughter or do you have two I have, uh, I have two kids. Two I have kids. a nine-year-old daughter, and then I have a seven-year-old son. Seven-year-old son. So um, I connected with you, I don't even, I think it was like two or three years ago now. Someone introduced us because they knew what I was going through with my wife's health struggles. And our life had kind of collapsed and gone sideways. And my wife has multiple autoimmune conditions, and she'd gone into a horrific flare, and it had totally did what that does. And I was in a really, I had actually just come through like a really rough uh, patch. And that's why they introduced us. And when we talked, you told me about your experience with your daughter, who I believe has type one diabetes, correct? Yep. And what year was she born? So she's nine. She was born in uh, October of 2011. And she ended up getting diagnosed on her fifth birthday. Okay, so 2016, about five years 2016. ago. 2016, and 2016 was was my spiral year, we'll call it. Okay, well, since that's what we're doing on this season of the podcast, I think we can go into the spiral a little bit, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, what? How did you know something was up with her? So on her birthday, which was the day before she was diagnosed, we took her out of uh, transitional kindergarten brought her over to Disney, the happiest place on earth. And we did their Halloween thing. 
So we're sitting there and she's like not wanting to trick or treat. She's drinking so much water. So I'm all proud as a nutritionist dad saying, yeah, you're drinking all this water. She'd gotten thinner, but we thought it was a gross spurt. And she's this fearless kid, but she was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to go on the roller coasters. And we're like, what's wrong with you? And so she's sitting here saying, I'm scared. And we took a little funny video of her brother dancing around and her sitting there moping. And I pull her aside and I start giving her a little lecture on gratitude. She looks at me and pukes on my shoes. And I go, ah, she got sick from the roller coaster. Let's go back. And then the next day, I was doing some filming out in Anaheim. So my wife brought her back and then I took my car separately. And uh, I get a message from my wife that she's having some breathing stuff. So I come home, we FaceTime with my buddy who's an ER doc and he's like, take her to the hospital now. And we bring her over there and she was in ketoacidosis, meaning her organs were shutting down uh, and her blood sugar wasn't coming down. And basically with type one, it really is an autoimmune disease. And I think diabetes and type one diabetes need different names. And basically it means that her system was shutting down and her pancreas stopped producing insulin. So she was knocking on death's door at that moment. And fortunately we got her, uh, got her there and in the hospital. Do you know how high her blood sugar was? Yeah, she was about uh, 360s at the time. And so as a reference, most of us sit uh, between 80 and 120 and on like a big sugar high day where you have like a yeah, maybe 200, maybe you're getting, and you'll feel like hell too. If right. Yeah. Imagine um, sitting in the threes and fours as a diabetic, who's literally having 25 grams of carbs without enough uh, insulin to support. Yeah. It. That's wild. And so that, I mean, within 24 hours, you went from my daughter's fine Right. to my daughter's in like a pretty dangerous situation right now and we'll have this condition forever exactly. and you probably got a crash course on what that means i don't know how i don't know how well versed you were on type 1 diabetes was but not was not yeah. I, I understood type 2 and it worked with people and i was like well we just put them into ketosis and yeah. and uh and you'll be fine and it's like oh yeah well if you go too low as a type 1 you die you go into a coma and don't wake up so that doesn't really work. So I had a lot of, you know, because yeah, they not only can't lower their blood sugar, their body doesn't ex right. like raise it very well either. I have a thing on my phone, an app that works with her kind of <clears throat> the joys of modern technology, where when she's high, we get some beeping. When she's low, we get an emergency siren, because that's the one you worry about the most where yeah, body right? needs the sugar to go exactly to function. Yeah. So she has a all the time monitor. It's called a Dexcom. And what you do is uh, every few days, you click that thing on there and it gives you an updated reading every five minutes. And it's about 20 minutes advance of where you are. It's just beautiful technology. Wow. And so I can always monitor where her blood sugar is at all times. That's amazing. Um, and now it's amazing to talk about that, that that exists and we can talk about it like this. I'm sure that that experience was terrifying. Absolutely and terrifying. Um, what did, what was that first week or so like, like when I'm sure there was a period of disbelief when the doctor told you what was going on. And then it's like, how do we, what, what even, what is this? Like, what is it? Cause I know with me, when we figured out what was going on with Mira immediately, my brain went through like the 117 ways that my life was about to be different. Nice. And like, Holy shit. I kind of liked my life the way it was before. This is not what I wanted. And then there's this, for me, there was a period of like intense resistance to this can't be, or we can fix this, or this can't be like this. Like, did you have something like that? 
Oh, completely. Like, I think at first it was like shock and denial and everything slows down and you don't even feel like you're present. And then it was just like, uh, you know, the first week almost you're in the hospital. So uh, they really have to regulate things and get you, get you set, we'll just say. And so during that time, there was just um, massive fear because there's so much uncertainty. And then it's just like, okay, so what you're saying is I have a new full-time job that uh, I need to do in addition to my current full-time jobs. <laughs> so you start wondering like, how is the time going to happen to work to manage all this? And in addition, they're so young at five that it's not like they can be self-reliant. So um, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. And um, yeah, it's, my, my dad actually is type two diabetic and he went into diabetic coma when my freshman year in college, I got a phone call from my mom saying we're at the hospital, dad collapsed. And I didn't even know he was sick or anything. Uh, his blood sugar was like six something. And the nurse in the ER told my mom, oh, you're really lucky. Most people die if it gets this high. And like, sh that was not the most enlightened, compassionate thing to say to someone. And uh, yeah, he, he was in the hospital for about a week and a half and has been managing it since then. And that was 98. So it's done well, but um, it was, it was really scary. And then I learned about diabetes. Yeah. And so uh, that's different type way different. I, I agree. They should have different names because people are like confused as to what's what. And one of them is an autoimmune condition that doesn't, I've heard stories of improved function and reversal with type one diabetes, but I've not witnessed it or encountered it where type two is much more manageable and easier exactly. to, to get on top of. Um, so you mentioned that was a spiral. I, I'm guessing that means that that wasn't the only thing that happened in oh. 2016. If you know the thing from, uh, from the game shows when they say, but wait, there's more, <laughs> <laughs> I got a, but wait, there's more. So all within 2016, we went from the external on top of the world visual to the internal um, collapse sort of happened all within about a 20 minute period. So after that happened a little bit later, I was doing all my fitness training out of my house. So I'm training out of my house and I've got my uh, clients coming there for the privacy. Uh, and then I also got the ESPN show going on. So all within. You that, did that out of your house. You had a studio. Oh, no. So I would go oh, to the SDN studio okay. in San Diego. Okay. They, uh, they had some studios there. So I was doing all that stuff there. And so within about a 20 minute time period, we had had a little spat with uh, a neighbor whose dogs had come after our stroller out on uh, an Easter Sunday. And we were, we were like, you know, put your dogs on a leash. You know, I'm trying to watch my kids and uh, uh, ended up telling my wife to go F herself which then turned into mama bear coming out because she's trying to protect her kids and us telling him, you know, we'll call animal control if he's not going to take care of his dogs, especially one of them had bit somebody before. And uh, long story short, we call animal control. And then he goes to our landlord and says, if you don't evict Kyle for his illegal personal training business in your house, uh, I'm going to kick you out. And landlord said, don't worry, I've got your back. And then within about two days, I had uh, an eviction notice. And within 20 minutes of getting the eviction notice, which basically means you're losing your house and also where your business is, because I was somewhere where there was no HOA, so I actually could train there. And in the midst of that, I also got a notice from my biggest sponsor that they brought on an external marketing firm 
And that pulled my funding for my ESPN show because I'm a man of integrity and didn't want to use like your beer commercials when I don't drink that stuff. And I wanted to get all my own sponsors. So my main sponsor, everything was natural health related. My main sponsor pulled the plug in that same 20 minutes. And I was like, ah, so oh, I had totally to unrelated. Like that wasn't related, related at all to what was going on at your house. It was just the vibration. I was tuned into chaos vibration. And so everything chaos came my way. Wow. So found a new place to train, but I couldn't, you know, but it wasn't a house. We couldn't find a house that had no HOA in the area. So then for the short term, I ended up moving into a one bedroom in my parents' place with a brand new, you know, baby plus my, plus my daughter. So we've got all of this stuff going on. And, and then on the outside, everything is awesome. <laughs> and uh, the eternal uh, optimist had to come out of me. So, so home business, well, temporarily training business, home podcast, the same year that your daughter got sick. Yep. Wow. I'm pretty familiar with that feeling of everything is slipping away and going away. And why is this happening? And how do I stop it? And what am I going to do? And, and do I deserve this? Was there any, um, you know, thoughts that were going through and stories that were coming up and all this kind of stuff when all that was all going the on? stories were coming up and what I tried doing at that time was for the next, let's see, this was 2016 to 2019. I tried the art of compartmentalization, which I've learned since was a total fallacy where I said, all right, all I'm going to do is focus in on work, go into hustle mode, compartmentalize my life and look for wins on the outside, which were all self-sabotage and hustle. So what ended up happening is I hustled, hustled, hustled. I worked like a hundred hours a week, did everything I could to try to dig myself out of this grave, so to speak. And I was listening to all the motivational speaking. I was in the midst of all this spiritual stuff. And I kept hearing this whole saying of, hey, you know, keep digging. You're really just three feet from gold. And I realized that those guys were way off. That in reality, all I was doing is digging a six-foot grave. So what that led to was January 2019, uh, January 2nd, 2019, I was out uh, on a hike and started feeling my lungs. And I'm like, I never get sick. I've been sick in six, seven years. And turned out, long story short, uh, I did the whole mind over matter thing. And I ended up reaching out to one of my uncles who's a doc. And he said, get your butt over to the hospital. Now, went over to the hospital and realized I was, uh, when I went in for a lung x-ray, they called code septus. And I was in full organ shutdown, darn near death. In double pneumonia, they put everything in my body they could antibiotic-wise to try to save my that life. That happened from pneumonia? Like the infection came in through the lungs? Yep. Double pneumonia. This is pre-COVID. One of my buddies said, Are, were you patient one? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and yeah, I was, uh, I was in critical condition. And I'd basically done the whole Japanese uh, art of, I think they called it... Uh, uh, Kuroshi, which is like uh, working yourself to death. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit. That's K-I-T. And grab the RHT starter kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT healthy sleep guide, the wellness vault coupon book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health related tools and resources, 
a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So you were at your parents right. in a one-bedroom spot with your wife, your two kids. So that was four people in a room. Four of us in a room. So your your response to this whole giant scenario was like, I'll just bust my ass harder than anyone possibly can and I'll Bingo. fix this and make a bunch of money and get us out of here and yep. uh, rebuild the whole thing and it'll be great and I'll do it really fast because I'm going to work really hard. Yeah. And uh, what did that do for your life that wasn't work? Oh, like, man. How did that translate to like Kyle husband and Kyle dad and Kyle son and Kyle friend? Uh, it's heavy. Uh, it's heavy. I got very, very heavy. Not weight-wise, but energetically. So at the time, I thought of this whole illusion of compartmentalization. And I was- That you can be like this guy over here and then be this guy over here. and Over here, and I can be this guy over here and find my wins on the side. And I just completely uh, closed my give hand if it didn't have something to do with work. And I've been this big go-giver- And I also was completely closed with my receive hand, meaning there was nothing that I could do to be open to receiving because I was stuck in these emotions of guilt and shame. And if you're vibing guilt and shame, there's nothing that's going to get through to you. So everything starts to align that way. My marriage was a hoax. It was like I married and I'm here, but I'm like, hey, I'll work and I'll address this once I've made enough money. So I was just so not mentally and emotionally present for a long while. I was like, okay, my wife can help take care of the diabetes stuff and she can cook all the meals and she can raise the kids and I can show up and show them love when I'm here, but only in these little bursts, almost like the uncle that shows up or the fun the fun friend that shows up, but I wasn't a present dad at all for that first while. And she had to bear all of that. And I was thinking, well, I need to be the one with the weight of the world on my shoulders to dig us out of this and keep this, you know, get this boulder. It was like Atlas shrugged. I'm, I'm walking uphill with this giant boulder on my shoulders. And I need to also be the one to lift up my clients, keep my problems private and be this motivational speaker, right? So what I did during that time is I started studying transcendental meditation. That was kind of one of my first ins and then stand up comedy. Interesting. Because I looked at the most spiritually like impressive humans, right? So with transcendental meditation, they were talking about Maharishi Maharesh Yogi, who's the founder of it. And he's known as the giggling guru. And I was sitting back and I was like, you know what? The wisest people that truly have this joy and happiness that I want so They're much, always laughing. They're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> they're always in truth. I'm like, I want more of that. So started studying observational humor and actually did uh, stand-up comedy university at the comedy, you know, the world famous comedy store in La Jolla in uh, San Diego. Wow. Yeah. I love stand-up and stand-up right. comedians are brilliant and they're also extremely tormented. Completely. 
yeah. and it's all observational humor. I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of stand-up comedians who do observational humor had a spiritual awakening and had no idea how to handle it. Yeah, because then everything looks ridiculous. Everything seems ridiculous that we do, like our right. our life, our culture, our society, whatever. And then you start seeing like that's ridiculous. And I think a lot of time, yeah, I think it's just a different way to deal with it. I think it's yeah. pointing out the, the absurdity of all of it in a way, because the reason they're so funny and everyone laughs like George Carlin towards like the second half of his career when he became fully like social commentary. Um, instead of just like going on TV to swear, he would go on TV to like go on rants and raves about different things. Right. Everyone laughed at it. And then would kind of look around and be like, you know, he's kind of right. Right. He was like, actually speaking like, some truth. There. Yeah, this is funny and awkward because it's true. Let's just laugh at it because that's more comfortable than like facing it. But sure. uh, but yeah, so that's an interesting so comedy. Uh, learning comedy helped you get through and transcendental meditation is mantra meditation, right? Right. It's mantra yeah. driven. I'd always yeah. been a huge Beatles fan. So that's when I kind of first learned about it in high school. Do they do transcendental meditation or was it like a? They did. They actually went and studied with the Maharishi and spent a ton of time. And uh, if you look at the Beatles music and also their attire, yeah, a little shift went through that. There was a huge like. I think they found meditation and acid at the same time. They found uh, (laughs) okay. So that's been kind of the meditation and the comedy has kind of been what's pulled you back to more of yourself. Meditation, comedy. EFT and the biggest thing over all of it was that whole experience um, was without a doubt the opportunity where the universe said, do you want to be here or not? And if you don't want to be here, okay. But if you do want to be here, as I was sitting in critical condition, it was a true, true opportunity of like, if you're going to be here, you need to focus everything on soul alignment happiness and joy and being in the present moment. And that's where I shifted everything. And they told me I'm going to be spending a month in the hospital when I was there. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to put all these tools in. And so I was in critical condition and I got myself out in a day into a regular room. And they're like, okay, you're going to be here for about a month. And I was like, nope, I'm going to be out here today (laughs) or, or, or by tomorrow. And so we got to that tomorrow and I was sitting there and she said, oh no, we'll check your lungs. And I said, no, you're going to come back. And she came back in two hours. And I'm walking around the hall saying every day and every way I'm getting stronger and stronger. I'm literally sitting on the top of my lungs, looking like a smelly terrorist with my unshavenness and <laughs> disheveledness. And she's, and I'm speed walking laps around there. And she's like, what the heck did some tests. They sent me home and I slept them up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Eddie. that was your kind of, if you're going to keep going, you got to do this in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. Lesson. And mine was too, like I didn't, I've spent the last three years, uh, I just finished two training programs in like trauma and neuroscience and spirituality and meditation and all these things. And uh, I didn't choose that. Like I had to start to learn those things if I was going to survive my new way, like my new life, like it became, uh, I needed new tools and skills and things to be able to show up and like be, um, otherwise it was going to drive me into the ground. Like it was like, yeah. And it's interesting we get these lessons and, and it can show up. I mean, yours was that physical disease that came on and tied to, you know, the emotional, mental of losing all those things and then finding yourself. And I, I was at my parents' place for about six months when I was 36 
And that's not where you want to be. <laughs> it is like, it's the best word I can use is like retreat, right? Yeah, like it is. It's retreat war, to like the only place left that you can go. Right. Like it's, it's, it's the castle. <laughs> yeah. You've got, and it's in there's shame. And you mentioned shame and guilt. And to me, like there, there is no guilt. I, I think guilt can be okay. Like guilt is like, I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Yeah. And uh, like to me, shame, shame is what almost killed me a few years ago when I was suicidal. And shame to me is like, it's the end. It's the, it's the, it's the heaviest weight. It's the heaviest emotion. It's the heaviest energy. It's the thing that is the sand and the gears of all the other things. And um, there's a lot of that, like, even though like that wasn't your fault, those things that happened that put you in that position, there's still this story we have that we like to go right to that is like, I'm here because I suck. (laughs) My wife's career was in jeopardy with her and she's a nurse with her autoimmunity and she was making like over half our money in San Diego. And then all of a sudden she can't go to work for a while. And like, I'm like, I can't pay for us to have a house and insurance. And we did all functional medicine stuff for her health, which is like a lot of money. So like tons of health stuff and taking care of her and taking care of the house and taking care of the bills and doing this and living three blocks from the beach and all I can't do, I can't do it. And then, then I did, I put my head down and I just worked my ass off, which then caused more stress for everybody and um, did not help her health situation one bit. So I was like pouring gasoline on something that I was trying to make money to buy the water to go on the gasoline. And um, yeah. And then finally it just all collapsed. And I was like, no, like if you're going to survive, you have to do it this way. And it, and it pointed me towards these things that I needed to learn how to, how to do. And the fine balance is the it's not my fault and not being a victim and saying but it's my opportunity to get out i have the power he-man style Mm. meaning i have the choices for the next steps when i finally realized all the power was within it was like okay i don't need to do this anymore because it hasn't helping at all this is so disempowering and there's, I love the whole, if you're pointing one finger at me, you're pointing three back at yourself. So I was like, okay, so it's right here, which means I get to take ownership over not what happens, but how I respond. Those types of um, periods in life, when you lose your house and you lose your health of your daughter and you lose your training business location and you lose your podcast and I lost um, we were about to move to Mexico on the beach when my wife got sick the first time. And when that was like a dream of mine to, to move somewhere like that and do that, and that was gone. And then like all these different things are taken away. Um, and then it's the resistance to it. It's the, this can't be like this. Like I, this isn't, this is not, this is unacceptable. This is not, a, I'm going to, and it's, it's those moments, at least for me, that broke me to realize that like, you don't get a say in what's going to happen. Like you can, we can put ourselves in situations that have a greater likelihood for certain outcomes and things are going to happen that we didn't sign up for, that we didn't want to happen, that we wouldn't choose to happen. You would have never, even though it's kicked off a chain reaction of events that brought you to here, you never would have wished for your daughter to become type one diabetic. Without a doubt. 
the tools that you've learned and, and then the tools that I've learned, they're kind of different, but they both serve in the ability to adapt to things happening that are outside of our control. Right. Like, instead of just uh, raging against it harder, uh, you're not going to win. <laughs> A big part of my healing with all of this uh, that I heard originally from a psychic medium. And at first I was like a little insulted, but then I sort of took it in for a little bit, which was, she was just like, you know, uh, you and your daughter planned all this, that this is all part of your, your pre-planned path for spiritual growth and opportunity where she can teach people that beauty is, you know, not only on the outside, but can be on the inside and the outside simultaneously. And I was kind of like, my initial thought was like, a few. Yeah. <laughs> then as I took it in and then saw like, like I brought her with me, even when she was six, we went to San Diego state university to their dance marathon. There's 500 kids dancing for children's hospital. And she's standing on stage talking with me at six years old saying, you know, I'm a warrior, not a worrier. And I'm an athlete, not just a kid with diabetes. And I was just like, man, my little teacher here next to me, yeah. And I started piecing all these. Have her start coaching your clients. Bingo. She needs to be the coach. Without <laughs> a doubt. Oh, she's the greatest saleswoman of all time. She sits here and she, like with our shakes, she's like, dad, can I go door to door and ring the doorbell and introduce everybody to him? I'm like, these are neighbors. We just moved here to Colorado. I'm like, don't go start. She's like, but they need to know about it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, the, the relax, nothing's under control. I, I and the resistance piece and like these tools to adapt to like these life curveballs. And I use curveballs as a light word, but these things are serious and heavy and right. uh, we don't want them. And uh, I've had a similar experience where I learned uh, that I signed up for this. Mm. And um, I don't know what people out there, what your spiritual beliefs are or like anything like that. But I had an experience that in a very real way, uh, showed me that I signed up for this, all of it. And um, if someone would have told me that when I was in like the thick of it, I would have wanted to punch their face. Exactly. And what's come out of the thick of it is everything now that I am and that I have and that the practices and the shift and the transitions and like learning all these things that I never would have gone to a school for two years. It's focused on like meditation and spirituality and energy. I, I didn't even believe that was a thing three or four years ago. And um, for people out there who are like in it, in it right now, like I'm not going to, you know, we were talking about this before we went on air that like the last thing you ever want to hear when you're like in the middle of it is, you know, you're going to learn some cool things from this and you're going to come out the other side in this way. That's really spectacular. Um, you can just tune that part out right now and just know that there is another side. Like, yes. I mean, what, what would you want to say to the people, you know, that right now either themselves or somebody in their life is, is in it and they're, they're either in it themselves or they're in it supporting somebody, whether that's a health crisis or a life crisis or something that seems, because when you're in it, you're in a hole and it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Like it doesn't seem that, you know, what did you say? You said you didn't want to hear about the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in the tunnel. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like, as you're going through this, I, I say when people are, are hearing stories, like nobody wants to hear of your own personal hero's journey when you're in the middle of the S storm, right? Mm -hmm. You want to hear it from people like, Hey, look what I went through. It's so great. Now buy my book. 
right? But when somebody's in the middle of it, like all you can say is, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Or don't worry, everything will get better. And when you're in that, nobody wants to hear that. You want to know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but you also, you shouldn't feel shame about feeling those emotions. Like that just compounds the shame. That's lighter fluid on shame. It is so important that you feel the emotions and then when the time is right for you, you let them go. You don't want to store them in your body for eternity, but it's okay to feel it and let it go, which again, with emotional freedom techniques, with tapping, it's about feeling the emotion, amplifying it, having awareness of, okay, this, this is what shame feels like. This is what sadness feels like. This is what anger feels like. Now I feel it and now I can let it go. Yeah, because you, you store those things all up and you end up with sepsis right. or autoimmune yeah. conditions or cancer right. or, you know, and I'm not saying those are the only, that's the only thing that causes these conditions for those scientific folks out there, but the, it goes somewhere and that somewhere then is in here. Precisely. There's uh, a couple of thought processes that I've, I've studied where they say your subconscious mind is your body, which I found fairly interesting to think about it like, okay, you're storing so much of this stuff in your body. And then the other thing is I love a lot of the uh, Eastern ancient wisdom, like where they say anger is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And if you just take it anecdotally and you don't want to look at it through like a, well, from a, you know, scientific Western scientific lens, this isn't good. But if you just take anecdotally, it's like, when have you ever been angry at another person and also felt really good and enjoyed life? Never. So I think it's physically problem. impossible. Bingo. Bingo. You can't vibrate on two different planes at the same time, meaning you can't have two polar opposite emotions that you're operating from at the same time. Yeah. And uh, when we, I was, I don't even know if you know this, I was a producer and, and helped out with a human longevity project documentary series that aired a few years ago. And our filmmakers went around the world. They filmed in all these places. The people, you know, live the longest, have the least disease um, like Costa Rica and Okinawa and Greece and Sardinia and Italy and different places. And the American audience wanted to know what's their diet and what do they do to work out? And when you ask these people who are 104 and ride their bike to the interview or 99 and they climb fruit trees or whatever, like if you ask them those questions, they think the questions are silly. What they, if you ask them like, what, what, how, how are you so healthy or what's the key to being so healthy for so long? Uh, they said, don't hold grudges and don't worry about things that don't matter. Beautiful. And, and that was like, it and then our marketing people were like well how do we sell that <laughs> like what what can where's the diet where's the pill where's the ad training program where's the whatever and um that was it don't hold grudges which anger i think can be okay like anger expressed like if it's expressed in a healthy way is fine but like anger in here like resent well i guess they use the word resentment often but like resentment or like unspoken anger unprocessed anger and then worrying about things that don't matter because like when you're in it too, it spirals. So like when you were dealing with all that stuff, I bet like the smallest little thing could happen to you one day, you know, somebody misses a meeting or like a client doesn't show up or somebody doesn't return an email when they're supposed to. And it starts this cascade in your head of these stories and this thing and this other thing. And it just goes in this loop, 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 loop. And it's like, that doesn't matter. I can talk to that person tomorrow. 
Right. Like, but the things matter so much when you're wound, when you're, when you're, you're so wound. heavy. It's like, you can't have outside perspective. Yeah. And you're so the rain cloud, you're almost in a constant state <laughs> of fight or flight mm-hmm. because you're just trying to solve this, uh, this basic human need of like survival, right. Of like safety Yeah, yeah. for my family, let alone thriving. So when you're in that state, you can't see the forest through the trees and you feel like the forest is on fire. So you're just looking almost through binoculars all day long and you're missing all the beauty that's going on alongside. It does. Like, it, we're it, like, tell me my wins. And I'd be like, uh, F off. I'm win. Yeah. Wins. <laughs> I don't, what I don't win. Only losses happen to me. Yes, thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Everything is awful and I hate it all, um, right. but it does. It puts you in that. And I, I think there's physiological things about that too. When you're in the like fight or flight response, it screws with neurotransmitters, brain things. It actually is like increases the danger responses in the brain. And you know, the amygdala gets more reactive and then the small things seem like big things. And so um, if you feel like we're describing you, <laughs> Yes, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been there at least three or four times in my life, like as an adult, I think that was, I think a lot of my childhood, I just existed in that state, and I didn't know it. Um, but as an adult, three or four big runs through that space and just know that um, there is a light. I was there all of high school. Mm-hmm. And I tried to imitate Cheech and Chong throughout high school for that exact reason all day, every day to numb it out. Yeah, I did as well. If you're talking about smoking tons of weed, I was right there with you. I think I actually bought it from a guy from Woodstock. So there you go. (laughs) That's where he's from. Probably um, a friend, probably a friend. Because the kids out in the country would grow the weed and then they would bring it in towards the city to sell it to the city kids. (laughs) Definitely Um, a friend then. (laughs) But but yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that I drank and I smoked and I did all these things to, it's because everyone else did. Right. Like it was cool. Like I thought I was doing it because it was cool and because everybody else did. But then I noticed when I got older and I stopped doing those things, all of a sudden I had severe anxiety. I had panic attacks. I had depression. I had insomnia. And I was like, why, what, what's going on? Why do I have all these things? And it's because I took away the things that I was using to mask it, mask it yeah. without the tools and the processing of like going through it. I, I was like in this limbo uh, period. And it, I realized, yeah, that I had lived my whole life like that. And um, I didn't know I had anxiety or depression or panic attacks until I was like 30 years old. You didn't and, know you had them because you weren't feeling them. Because I wasn't feeling them, but you can't selectively not feel things. So I also wasn't feeling anything happy either. Exactly. And, you're, um, you're masking joy. Well put. You're masking the joy. Yeah. You're masking the thing. Mm-hmm. So what I did with all of this career-wise is I said, all right, I'm going to set up my core values. And through the comedy, actually, my biggest core value of my business is laugh 400 times a day. That's, that's a tall order. Yeah. And it's a a conceptual uh, concept. And I looked at it this way where I said, all right, the average child, they say laughs 400 times a day. Wow. The average adult, how many times do you think? Four. You actually hit the number on the head. It's four. Really? Yep. I just went one hundredth of a child. One one hundredth. You're right. Wow. And when I heard that statistic, that was the statistic that rocked me to the core more than any statistic I've heard in my life. And it's I really sad. Entire, it's so sad. You know, like, what are we doing? We're adulting. What's this yeah, adulting yeah. thing? It's so overrated. Yeah. All we are is like kids with grown up bodies anyway. Exactly. So, exactly. Wow. So you've shifted from 
what I'll call stereotypical fitness and nutrition over the years right. to really well done stereotypical fitness and nutrition. I'll throw that in yep. there. Yep, um, to uh, what, what's your what's your practice now like with clients? Physical, and- mental, and emotional mastery, all focused on soul alignment. And when people can keep like intention is everything. My focus, my whole business on intention. When you set the right intentions and you realize that we're more like in a spider web where it's all interrelated and you pull up on one thing, it pulls everything else up and you pull down on one thing, it pulls everything else down versus this illusion of compartmentalization, which I had to learn the hard way. It just makes everything better. And the whole purpose behind everything is like the true improved quality of life. So you get to experience this heaven on earth experience. And again, I I don't believe personally that it's like, okay, like static and maintenance, like, okay, you get to this pearly gate, you show up and you just sit there. I'm like, that sounds really boring. I, my ADD would go nuts. I go crazy. I'd be like this heaven or hell. I can't tell. Yeah, We're not going to find you at a monastery anytime soon. (laughs) Exactly. So that's, that's really what I've shifted everything to. And, and what I've focused on is that being, and I realized when I was in those dark spots, so much of it and, and, and in that hustle energy, like where it was only hustle and no flow um, before I focused on harmony is that I actually never was really present. I was never living in the now I was living everything on when I, then I, so everything is like, when I finally get this money and solve this problem, then I can actually hang out with my friends. When I, you know, get the ability to take a vacation, then I will. And that is like, I used to say, the world is right at my fingertips. It's so close. And I visualized this idea of like, what if I actually walked up to my source and said, hey, the world is right at my fingertips and so close. And my source looked at me and was like, yes, the world is right at your fingertips and so close. Like whatever I would have said, like it's a genie would have said exactly back to me parallel. And I finally solved the problem when I realized like it's already here now. It's never not here. That. The, the moment that, yeah, the if then when uh, scenario, I lived in that for quite a while. Like, that's why the that's why Mira getting sick and the Mexico thing falling apart crushed me because like I was going to get to be happy when I lived on a beach in Mexico Bingo. and I'd worked my ass off for this movie launch, this film thing, this huge work thing. And, and, it, and it sucked and it was a million hours a week and it was terrible and it made her sick. Mm. And uh, but when it was done, it was going to be worth it because then we were going to get this thing. And when we get the thing, then everything's going to be fine. So I can do this like awful period that's going to be awful. And then in the meantime, she got sick the day after that ended. Like literally her pain started the day after the film launch ended, like literally the day after. Like I had about 12 hours of that being done, relaxing, cool, pain, worsening, spiral. Like it was like a sick joke. Like it was... You know, and then there was the guilt and the shame of I made her sick by doing that thing. And so not only did we not get the when then thing that I wanted, uh, we got this whole other thing that was not what I signed up for. Um, so it's yeah. And the, the then the then that you're chasing is now all the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, there isn't an, there isn't a then. What's so fascinating that, I, again, you, we learned some of our lessons the hard way. Yeah, was uh willpower versus enthusiasm and that we use this willpower to push through and do amazing things like finish the marathon right so it's like you had this willpower to push 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 you get to the finish line and you can finally get out of fight or flight and relax and that's when everything sets in 
Yeah, I think that's what happened. Uh, versus enthusiasm, it's like, like with enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasm is from the Greek enthusiasmos, meaning with, with source, with spirit, like, like you're connected to your friends, to your family, to those things you care about in nature. And like, it's just such a better way to operate. So that's where I, I push all my attention now is like, if I'm not fired up and excited about what I'm doing, I'm either going to outsource it or I'll do it with that willpower for just a little bit, but I won't stay there. Yeah. Get to versus have to. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm outsourcing as many have tos as I can nowadays because yeah. uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Like, and that's a, that's a great luxury that I have. I'm very grateful that I can outsource some have tos. I realize some people can't do that, but that differentiation between willpower and forcing and suppressing that I don't want to do this uh, versus the enthusiasm of like, I'm going to do the things that I love doing all the time, which yeah. you can make money doing that. It's, right. you know, causes a shift for a lot of, I bet a lot of your clients uh, probably don't end up doing the same things professionally they were doing when they started talking to you. Total shifts happen so many yeah. times. And uh, uh, I'll add the piece that, that can help anybody. So let's say you're sitting here and you're like, man, my wife will divorce me if I try to outsource the dishes. So I had that one and I said, okay, if I understand vibration well, how can I shift doing the dishes from a have to to get to? And so what I did is I started a ritual where I tune in either Beatles frequency or Bob Marley and I'll play those and I'll wash the dishes while singing like, you know, three little birds. And I'll play in the background and I get into this like flow when I'm cleaning the dishes from a happier state versus like, man, sucks. I hate dishes because <laughs> if I try outsourcing that, I, I, did, I hate, I hate dishes so much. I just got really excited about someone else hating dishes. Like I do. Oh my God. Um, I actually now don't, I'm averse to cooking because of dishes. Like I, I used to love cooking and now every time I go to cook something, I just see a dish, but uh, yeah, that's the music and the dancing is one way. And then Tiknat Han, uh, his book, Pieces Every Step is one of my favorite intro books for spirituality. And there's a chapter in there about implementing mindfulness into like, what does this look like in everyday life? And like doing the dishes in a mindful way where he's like, I'm grateful I have this dish. I'm grateful I have food to go on this dish. I'm grateful that I have water that runs, that's hot, that cleans the dish and the sponge and the soap to clean the dish. And I'm happy I have multiple dishes so that we can eat at the same time. And he wow. went through this whole like thing. And for the first three or four of them, I'm like, man, I hate this guy. And then by the, by the time he got to like 15, I'm like, wow, that just entirely completely shifted my perspective on this thing. Because there's people who would like literally sell their left foot to have dishes which, right. and food and running water and a kitchen and a sink and somebody to eat a meal with. Yeah. And um I try to remember that when I get ragey towards the dishes. So I'll do that and listen to Bob Marley and I'll report back. Pop the two together, report <laughs> back. And, and I always say our triggers are usually our biggest opportunities for growth, right? I, uh, I look at those triggers. Like I, I still struggle with country music, for example, but that's probably a lesson there I haven't learned yet. Me like, too. So when you figure that one out, let me know, because it makes me want to pull out my eardrums. Straight up. <laughs> All right. Which is surprising because Woodstock's pretty country. Well, I was not meant to. Uh, so Woodstock, for those who are listening and don't know, which is, you know, what, like 30 minutes from where you grew up, is where they filmed the movie Groundhog Day. And I one day I did not know that. Oh, yes. And the Buddhists love Groundhog Day because it's really about making the best of your situation. I truly believe 
my lesson from being from there was to be Bill Murray and to really find the joy in the mundane and not to, not that I had to stay there. I escaped unlike Bill who, you know, built the house there. But I think the whole idea was like, there's no coincidences there. Yeah. They filmed it out in Woodstock. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. I, that's my trivia for the day that I just learned and is exciting. So, um, cool. Well, I think this is, I think we're at a good point to, to wrap things up here. And, um, I just, I appreciate the, the sharing and the vulnerability. I know that, uh, sometimes when we talk about stuff that was really hard often and openly, it doesn't carry the same charge. So like, if you guys hear us talking about, you know, my wife getting really sick or his daughter getting sick or losing this or losing that and going through these things, and we're able to talk about it like this, for me personally, it wasn't always like that. The strength uh, comes from the sharing and the, the talking about it. Because when I used to talk about those things, I would lose it. And um, I just don't want people to, to hear that uh, us talk about it so casually as if these things were not hugely emotionally charged. They Same. I'll add to that for me, uh, total agreement. And again, one of my personal best life lessons is to understand that uh, vulnerability is power. And I was so worried about that outside image. I'm training these people who are celebrities. And I took on that same type of energy of like, I need to look perfect in this perfectionism on the outside. And when I finally let go of that and was willing to share and shake in my voice and in my whole body and soul as I'm sharing these things in my life that are feeling moments of helpless and, sh and, and shame, that helped me heal to the point that I could be like this with you now and say it in a way where the charge is mostly gone. And I can't recommend doing that enough. Like eventually it, it takes that charge away. You hit it on the head. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that all that awful stuff happened to you and that uh, it, it drove you in the direction that it did, because um, it's really cool to see and to watch and to, you know, uh, be in connection. And uh, I look forward to collaborating more in the future. So if they want to find you, where will they go to do that? Awesome. So first off, thank you so much for having me today. Everybody listening, thank you for hearing my story. I really appreciate your taking the time and hopefully you got some good gems out of it. And, uh, and you can reach out anytime at fitkylebrown on all social media platforms. You can go to fitkylebrown.com, connect anytime. You don't have to get through my people. Uh, I'm here to help connect and serve. So thank you so much. Cool. And we'll have the links down below too in the show notes and everywhere. So thank you so much, Kyle. It was tons of fun. Uh, I hope it was a, a good interview for you. I get a little intimidated when I have professional interviewers on things. Oh, so uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun for me and I look forward to connecting more. Thank you. Thank you so much. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.